Okay, well, while the uh, NLT is getting this sorted out, I just want to welcome you to your afternoon session. What we're uh, it's it's not a really uh, complicated uh, agenda today or this afternoon, but uh, just really wanted to give an opportunity again for the whole of the national leadership team to be able to share uh, with us. Um, just important to to continue to get to know our leadership and also just to to learn how has the word of God impacted them uh, in in significant ways. And so uh, what we're going to do is just have each one share. And after each one shares, uh, just an opportunity to ask some questions. And once we're done with the four, if there's maybe uh, some time left, we may take some additional questions for the NLT. But that's where we're going. So as you're listening, maybe if there's a question that comes to mind, do jot that down. Just wave me down and I'll come with the microphone so that uh, we can get it's it's being recorded. So if others that couldn't make it, they're able to to listen in on that. So, um, okay, they're asking for prayer. There's humility in action right there. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us uh, through your word, through Jesus, through, through spirit words, the words of knowledge, pictures, dreams. So thank you in all the different ways that you've revealed yourself and continue to. But we thank you for the standard of your word as the revelation of your love as we heard this morning. And I pray that as each of the NLT members shares, Father, that we would hear uh, your heart, not only for them, but for us. And, uh, and that it would just impact us. It would um, reach down into the depths of our hearts and move us to be able to share uh, that same love letter, that same love word uh, with others. And we pray it in your name. Amen. We are going to share with a passage that uh, comes alive with me. So I'm going to share a passage which comes alive with me uh, recently, quite recently. Um, I think you can answer this question. Who knows the first five, five words of Psalm 23? Read it out. Psalm 23. Okay. Who know the last ten words of Psalm 23? <laughs> I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, last ten. So I think this come alive to me just um, less than three weeks ago. So three weeks ago, uh, Michelle and I visit uh, this gentleman, Chi um, Sing Wong. Mr. Wong got uh, brain cancer. He was a very handsome um, guy around the age of uh, 64, 64, yeah. I like to uh, wear a bow tie. But suddenly, he got brain cancer. And you can see his right side swelling. Um, is terrible. So... Um, we visit him. The Lord uh, gave me very important word to deliver to him. I don't think I have chance. I have time to share with all the details. Okay, but the essences, the essences. He received the word from the Lord, and he was willing to um, pray with me to accept Jesus, and I baptized him right away. And I gave him communion right away. 
and um, uh, he was willing to throw all the idols in his home right away. Wow! If you can, if if you can describe someone with a, living in a house of idol, this is one. Okay, let's take a look. Okay, go on. Yeah, one second, one picture. So uh, baptize him. Go on. Go on. Go on and anoint him with oil. Go on. Yeah, I anoint him with oil. After baptism, I mean during baptism. Okay, go on. That's his wife, non-believer, but I think she will become a believer in a few months' time. Pray for her, Mrs. Wong. Mm. Yeah, go on. Go on. Go on. So uh, having the first and the last communion. Go on. Yeah. Go on. And uh, two bags of idols. Go on. You know, this this is a weird guy. Lots of people think that Buddha and those kind of things are idol. But this is called Lucky Cat, okay? This is called um, one Fortune Cat something, okay? So if you go to a Chinese restaurant, you can see this cat, lots of different size, large Fortune Cat, middle size. <laughs> and then when you come in the front door of Chinese restaurant, this cat will... Give me money. So, so uh, he threw that away. So, but you know what happened? Uh, there was a Tuesday. On Thursday, he asked his daughter. Okay, before that, uh, he he didn't want to go to his daughter's church, which is Richmond Emmanuel Church. Okay, don't mention about it. I'm not a believer. I'm not. Even he got cancer. He said no. All right. But two days after he was baptized, even with his deformed face, you know, he didn't go out because, you know, if, if I were him, I won't go out because, you know, it's just like a monster. And he asked his daughter to take him to worship at Richmond Emmanuel Church. That opened my eyes. It happened not the first time. It happened quite a number of times that I, when I led people to Jesus, the first thing is next Sunday, they would go to church. If that's real, you know, really receive Jesus. So, but something happened. No matter it's because his daughter didn't have faith or so and so, uh, his daughter was very sad when she told me. His daughter was in tears. She said, my dad want me to bring him to the church to worship. But I told him, dad, you are so weak.
willing to receive that. Uh, the pastoral epistles are all about raising up and strengthening a new generation of healthy leaders. Uh, Nick and Ignatius represent that. Uh, in the book of Titus, uh, Paul said to Titus, the reason I left you in Titus was to finish the things that left unfinished and appoint elders, leaders, presbyters, priests in every town. Uh, Crete was the island of over a hundred towns. So we want to raise up a hundred necks and Ignatius's. Do you have faith for that? Don't let anyone despise you. Uh, Paul said to Titus, don't let anyone. Who does that include? That includes yourself. Yeah, nice guys are often the hardest on themselves. So you have no permission to despise yourself. No permission. I, I want to apply... That verse, the first thing is don't let people look down on your young butt. And Titus is just let no one despise you. Do you receive that, Lefty? Let no one. Has anyone ever been hurtful to people in your family and released despising? Yeah. And you think of all the pain that the Afro-American people have experienced. And sometimes they internalize it. Uh, God has brought you here for a season to break the curse of despising and self-despising on people. We want to bless you. Let no one despise you. Even lefty. I want all of you. Are you willing to receive that verse for yourself? If you can receive it, you won't get taken out. Uh, Why don't you pray after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I'm going to apply this verse. I'm not going to let anyone despise me. I'm not going to let anyone take me out. Especially myself. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't have gifts and I don't have a sermon. Um, we were asked to give uh, a verse or how the word is spoken to us. And um, there are lots of places, but I, I'm just going to maybe share two or three. What the, one that I was reminded of from long ago when I was much younger was in Ephesians chapter 2 where I'll just read from verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And I just got this picture of this corpse, this dead person. And was just totally struck by the fact that when you're dead, you're dead. I mean, the, the, the corpse is a corpse is a corpse is a corpse. It just cannot do anything. And that by God's spirit, he made us alive. And um, for some reason, it just went very deep into me. Um, I lost it and have to refind it. But there's, you cannot earn this thing. 
called Jesus. You cannot earn, I cannot earn, I cannot earn what God has given me. Um, because once you're dead, you're dead. And so it takes something else to bring that thing to life. Because I can't bring myself to life. And so for me, it was this huge revelation of grace. It was just this revelation of God did something because he wanted me alive when I was dead. And that was exciting. Like lots of things, you go, wow, that's exciting. Then you kind of diminish off. But just God's initiative that I want you alive and I can't earn it. I have to actually receive it. And then I could go to the beginning of uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua, where he, where he, he talks so much about be strong and courageous and read the word. Obey the law is what he says. He studies. The, um, but the encouragement all the time to be strong and courageous as they went into the promised land, as they were fulfilling God's purposes, there was this exhortation about being strong and courageous. Do not give up. So the book of first, first uh, chapter of Joshua has been hugely helpful to me in the last 10 years particularly. Um, and finally, another passage that has been profound for me has been the story of the prodigal son. I've been all of the people on that on that painting there. Um, I, I I went through a stage of I've been the prodigal son about ten times, um, and this incredible experience of you come to the end of yourself and and you come back to God and you come back and you've got the script or you you don't even know I didn't know how to come back, and he really ran down and met me. And, you know, when I first came back to the Anglican mission and knocked on the door, when I was still thinking I might come back into ministry, I might not, I got a whole lot of questions and I got a write out. And I was very transparent and I wrote my, all my sins of the last 10 years when I fell and betrayed everything. And one of the bishops in the Anglican mission said, don't touch him. And I actually went to that bishop in a winter conference and, and actually said, I forgive you. I was really angry. And I say that merely to say we're all a piece of work that's being worked out. You know, it's, we're not, there's a lot of work that God's doing. But God the Father ran down and met me and he said, I want you to go back into ministry. And one of the things was just let's find a place to do ministry. And we need one another. So it's an unusual experience to when you have totally screwed up to have people embrace you and put sandals on your feet and a ring on your finger and a cape on, and say, you're my son. Because I just came back as a servant and he says, you're my son. And that's the most powerful application of the gospel I know is to be able to say to a guy who's a drug addict, God, God absolutely delights in you. He loves you. He is so thrilled with you. He doesn't like what's happened to you. And I, if I could boast about one aspect of ministry I love the most, it's putting capes and rings and sandals on people and declaring over them God's love and going way down the road to meet them before they've come into church, before they know who Jesus is, while they're still sleeping with girlfriends and boyfriends and just declaring the Father loves you because that's what he did to me. And the older brother, where he, he was so angry and jealous. Philip talked to us about that, you know, the envy of other people. And he was so angry 
And the father comes up to him and he just says, because I was angry. I was hugely angry. And, and, and he just says, what if, to me, he said, out of that passage, you know, what if I'm for you, not against you? And the words that broke my heart were at the end of the day, he just said, all I have is yours. Now live out of that place. And so part of my healing was the prodigal son's story. The church is the banqueting table. In other words, behind the father of the prodigal son is music, is dancing, is a place of joy and fellowship. I think that's a description of the church. Um, And you can hear it outside. And he just said, come in. And when he said, live out of this place of I will look after you, I will provide for you, and all I have is yours, was a turning point for me in my own mindset where I began to say, okay, I'm going to live. All you have is mine. You do live just in time sometimes. It does get a little nerve-wracking. But my identity is going to be your son. You really love me. You're very rich. You have a past for me. You have a future for me. And I, you know, this place, in some ways, is a testimony to a lot of things. But I boast about this place as well. Because if I had seen this eight, ten years ago, I wouldn't have believed it. And so God is faithful, hugely faithful, more than I could imagine. And this community in which we have had lots of healing, all of us, but I have certainly. So those were three passages that really bring life out of a corpse that's dead. Um, be strong and courageous when you're going to follow me and take the promised land and live as my son and an heir of the kingdom. Uh, just no matter what you've done, my grace is enough. Uh going to just take a break. John does this all the time and he's always, I've been very encouraged by John because he always says take risks and I, I think I had a picture in my head when you were telling this story about you. <laughs> You'll be able to tell me if it's your story. Um, while John was telling the story about the prodigal son, uh, I had this picture of you know John being the eldest son and then leaving the father and then spending some time in the in the wallow with the pigs and then coming back and um and getting the robe and the ring and the sandals and the father saying let's do the fatted calf and um we go down to the back of the the, the property where the calf is being on the on the you know on the going round and round getting cooked and stuff and but the picture that I had John was that God's taking you up to this place now and he's but this next part of the journey is not the day of the fatted calf because this thing went on for about a week they would have had to be have a festival for a week it'd be the next day you've gone home you've taken the robes off we've got all that and now you're in this place where the where the family is having a party and your you, you, the smell of the pig pens, that's gone now. You used to remember it, but, but now it's this time of festival with your family who are there to love you and care for you and, and, it's, and the robe's gone too. You, you've, that was the symbolic thing. You've got that now. You put that in your bedroom and, and your cupboard and, and, and now for the next week, and I don't know what a week means in how many years, whatever, it's like the next week is this party of a festival with the family. 
It's the part we don't read about in the story, but, but you've got to know the fattened calf means a weaker party, festival, celebrating. It'd be really interesting if... Anyway, that's a picture that comes to my mind. So, anyway. Um, so, hands up those of you who uh, grew up in the church or grew up with people of faith. And Hands up. Okay, thank you. Hands up those of you who came to a relationship with Jesus later on in life. Oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? So I want to tell you my story because um, mine was later on in life. So um, 37 years ago and uh, when we were talking about which passage, I'm going to share with you the first passage that God ever used to speak to me about, which I've tended to take for granted every once in a while. So let me tell you a story. I, I get saved at 22. I never read. I, I told this story for those who came to my session but I think it's appropriate to lead into this. I never read the Bible in my life and um, I'm so dumb at Christian spirituality that I bought, uh, I went to the bookstore, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a Christian bookstore and I um, looked at an NIV Bible and um, tried to read it, (laughs) it didn't make sense, it was too deep. If Eugene Peterson's message would have been around I'd bought that but he, he, he hadn't written that then and so I got a living Bible. And it was sort of like dumbed down language and I could read that. It made sense. Not the Old Testament, but the New Testament. And in those days, I'd got converted while I was working at the Royal Perth Hospital, as some of you know. Um, but I was working in the Department of Microbiology. And at that particular time, I was working in the tuberculosis um, lab, high, high infection. You know, we have to robe up and put stuff. And so we had um, little stickers, iridescent yellow stickers with what looked like an atomic symbol with infectious and any samples and stuff we had to put. Well, I got my Bible. I was so excited with this Bible. I got my Bible and I stuck infectious all over my Bible. That's what I used to, my living Bible. In fact, I still got that at home. And um, so how do you read this thing like one page at a time, but where do you start? And so went to my youth pastor. He's a new youth pastor. I've only just met him, Pastor Phil. And he said, well, 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 just start with the Gospels, like, you, you know. So I started with John, and then I went to Matthew, Mark, and then I get to Luke. He said, my pastor said a very wise thing. Silas has been saying this for years. Not quite these words. You should read one chapter of the Bible every day. Have some quality time with Jesus every day. So start with John and go through. And God spoke to me in John, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But then nothing else really heavy. Then I turn to Matthew, start reading Matthew one day, chapter, get to Mark, come to Luke. And I get, remember, I never read the Bible before. And I get to this part in Luke, and I read, and and Jesus walks along the road and he comes up to a fig tree and I'm going, this is unbelievable. I know this story. He's going to come out of the fig tree and he's going to curse it. He cursed the fig tree. Now I know the next part of the story, this part in Luke, he's going to come back the next day and the fig tree is going to be dead. Now I'm really freaking out. Like, I know the story in Luke, the fig tree died. Then Jesus is going to teach a parable about it. Now I'm really freaked out. I have never read the Bible in my life. I know this story in Luke. 
So I'm sweating blood for about three days. How to explain this? I've never read the Bible. I know the story in this Luke chapter. And I'm thinking, I know, finally, because I'm a pretty smart guy. It's obviously, it's reincarnation. Right? (laughs) Obvious. In a previous life, remember, I'm a new Christian. I don't know about reincarnation. In a previous life, I'd read the Bible and I knew all these Bible stories. So confidently, I went to Pastor Phil and I said, Phil, I want you to know, I know the Bible, and I'm a bit freaked out because I never read Luke, but I know the story about the fig tree in Luke. You know, he's a loving guy, gracious. And and Pastor Phil, you know, the obvious explanation is uh, reincarnation. (laughs) He's gracious and he's loving. He said, Peter... Let me explain to you about the Synoptic Gospels. That the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're the same stories about Jesus written by different people. And see way back here in Matthew, about three months ago, when you read Matthew, you read the story in Matthew and you'd forgotten about it. And when you got to Luke, you read the same story again. You'd just forgotten Okay, so that's my start to my theological education. <laughs> I'm really, really dumb. But I want you to understand, and I've got to keep reminding myself, when you've been in the church a long time, you've got to remember there are people who don't get it. And the first time you read a scripture, it's really new. And um, what we laugh at now was... I'm reading the Bible, the Word of God, for the first time in my life. And I'm 22 years old. And let me tell you, um, I've been around the block a couple of times by the 22. Drug, sex and rock and roll, I'm ashamed to say. Um, So now I'm getting a different worldview that's actually making sense because the Spirit of God. But the thing I want to say to you is I'm a new Christian um, Struggled terribly, terribly with low self-esteem and identity and all that sort of stuff. In the public arena, I was the in the pub. I was the guy that told all the jokes. I was the centre of attention, all that stuff. But deep down, I was totally lost, totally confused, um, really, really screwed up. And I remember in my living Bible, I got a pen, and I read all the way through John and couldn't find anything to underline. <laughs> You know, sharp as a bowling ball, nothing spoke to me. Yeah, okay, it's a good story, it's a good story. And then I come up to ch- chapter 20 in John, where uh, after the resurrection, Thomas meets Jesus after the resurrection. And it starts in John chapter 20, verse 21. And say 26, go on to 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That's a really good thing to say anyway. It's an aside. Peace be with you. That's, that's a good thing to say, especially if you haven't lived with peace for 22 years. Uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's great for the disciples, like, you know, they're with Jesus. Here we are 2,000 years later, no Jesus. We've got to sort of do it by faith and stuff. And, and then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. That's what the Archbishop is saying. And, I'm not going there. and put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out 
and, and put in my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas says, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus says this, and this was the first verse that God used. I actually, this is the first verse in the Bible I ever underlined 37 years ago. Because you've seen me, you believe. Because that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's easy for these guys. They're with Jesus, right? They get... They get all the advantage, all the benefits of being with Jesus personally. And then Jesus said, said to Thomas, because you see me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Hang on a minute. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about me. I haven't seen Jesus. I mean, it's 2,000 years later and Jesus is saying, I'm absolutely blessed because I believe in something I can't see. Wow, that really struck me. Now, of course, 37 years later, I can articulate that because the world says seeing is believing and the gospel says believing is seeing. (laughs) And the thing that struck me about that was that God was saying to this lost boy who grew up in this dysfunctional, sorry Max, German household, um, that he, he was saying to me that I was truly blessed because I believed in something I couldn't see. Now, I tell you, that that may not be a big thing for you, but if you could enter my story and see my story from where I'd come, that God was telling me I was blessed because I did something that was way beyond what the disciples... I I did something that the disciples couldn't even do. I believed in something... They believed in something they saw. They're way down there. But I believed in something I couldn't see. Can you, can you hear what I'm saying there? It was just amazing. And so the upshot of that, the, the, the consequence of that is for some reason, and I cannot explain this, I came to the conclusion that God actually loves me. I mean, not just he loves me. I, I have lots of struggles in my life. And some of the stuff in my pre-Christian life, i got to deal with now. All the people say, you know, you had a lot of fun before you got saved. Let me tell you, those people who grew up in a church, you don't have to deal with half the stuff i got to deal with every day. Unless God were to take it away, which he doesn't. So, I'm going to deal with this stuff all the time. But one thing, for some reason, I've never had a trouble with is to believe that God loves me. Now, I know that's a huge problem for a lot of people to actually, you know, they ha- have a trouble that God doesn't love me. And I know that's some of the stuff we've got to work with and all that. But for some reason, and I think it's got to do with where God's called me and what he wants me to do and stuff, I came to this realisation and I actually believed that I was blessed because I believed in something I couldn't see. And then God gave me this amazing Ability to actually believe that he loves me. And I don't want to be presumptuous and I certainly don't want to sound like, 
you know, I'm further down the road because it's not a linear thing, this, this Christian journey. But all my Christian life, since the day I was saved and since this verse, I've had this ability to believe that God actually loves me. It's amazing. Which probably means that I can get on with all my other dysfunction and deal with that. But this thing about being loved, which is ironic because I came up in a, I grew up in a household that was very, you know, German, strict disciplinarian. You're loved by what you do. It's a conditional love. And so I, I didn't even know how to, I didn't know what that love thing stuff was. But when I got saved by the miracle of God and the Holy Spirit living in me, I was given the gift of being able to accept the fact that God loved me. And I tell you what, if I could, I, I, I would bless, bless that on all of you. I, I could, that you would just know that God loves you, and that's settled now. We, don't, we, we can get on with the rest of life and deal with stuff. But God, and I know it's not the case for everyone. Some people struggle with that. But that was the most, um, that was my first incident with the scripture. I teach the scripture every week, so every week I'm totally blown away with what God teaches me. And my congregation gets, like all of us, probably 60% of, 50% of what, what God speaks to me, you get 50% in the sermon. So that is a continuing journey. But the one that started my life and, and spoke to me was this, John chapter 20 and verse 29. Because you have seen me, said Jesus, you've believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Anyway, that's my story. Up to you, Dave. Thank you very much. Um, I think... Yeah, as we said earlier, um, that we do want to provide just an opportunity maybe uh, to drill down into each of, of these guys' story a little bit more. Or if there's, let's start there in terms of, of where they are at with the scriptures and maybe other questions relating to the scriptures. And then if there's time remaining, we'll certainly take some time just to field other questions as well. So does anybody have something that they'd like to ask one or, or all of the NLT members? Yeah, so uh, Dave, sorry, this is a little bit off um, your your direction right now, but uh, um, Shai and myself, we, we have to leave right now um, uh, to head back to uh, to our neighborhood um, and to our, our ministry with Arasha and, and a big event that we're having tomorrow. But um, I, I, I was just, uh, as I've been listening to, to some of what's been shared here, I just wanted to say, um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, thank you for hosting us and for... Um, sharing with us, um, and uh, it, it seems to me like we've been on um, a journey with with you, with all of us together. Um, uh, I guess up the hill to a summit. Um, here, here we are using that kind of a, a metaphor, and um, we have to leave a little bit early and go back down to the valley, back to our neighborhood, and um, and uh, bring what we have uh, experienced here. Um, and, uh, and, and much of that, I think, has just been uh, um, somewhat encapsulated. Um, yeah, we have to take the, the love of Jesus back to the people and, and live out um, in our neighborhood to the people that, that we're called to. So um, I just wanted to say a special thank you for, um, yeah, for all the, the, the effort that people have, have done to come here together. I mean, our hosts, for sure, um, but also I'm sure everybody has their their story of what they had to pack in their bag to hike up the hill, what they had to leave behind, 
um, and we've come to a place to, uh, yeah, just to meet and to be together with Jesus, and uh, and it has been a truly summit experience. I know um, both of us have uh, have new vistas that we have seen from from this place, and uh, and so thank you, thank you very much, yeah. and go go well as you continue on um, looking and and living together in this moment in this time, and we'll look forward to. Um, yeah, to what God is doing in your lives. Thanks. Steve, could you and uh, Shai come, come forward so that we can pray for you? You know, Peter just told me, oh, could you? I said, yeah, I just received that. <laughs> so, so, so Peter and I, uh, lots of time are in the um, kind of similar mind, you know. Yeah, come, 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 come. Yeah. Let's pray for them. Hmm. Hmm. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come. Feel Steve and shy. Pour down your fresh anointing to them. Fresh anointing. That they can be refreshed, renewed. To be led by you to do your kingdom ministry. Arosha is being found by John Stock. And we are being linked with John Stock in a very special way. We see that how you connected each one of us with lots of your humble servants. Some like Uncle John already in heaven with you. And some are still working very hard, ministering to people on earth to do your kingdom ministry. So Lord Jesus, connect us together that we can experience You are the vine, we are the branches, so that we can be fruitful and bear much fruit to honor and glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We love you. Yeah. (laughs) See ya. Okay, so any other, uh, any questions or, yeah, just uh, let's take this time to interact with our, our leaders. Don't be shy. Max, thanks. I want to do an experiment. <laughs> it has to do with Peter. As I say in Bavaria, Chris God, Max, Hock die Nieder. No, I'm going to speak English. Uh, I grew up in a screwed up German family. (laughs) Join the club, brother. I I want you to say the same thing. (laughs) I grew up in a screwed up German family. Who do do you believe more? (laughs) 
what, what's a, Max, what's the lesson you're trying to teach us? Because I, I want to, I want you to speak in a different accent. <laughs> he, he wants me to say, I grew up in a screwed up German family. Okay, I love Max, so I can say, let's get back to the subject at hand. And he'll hey, take that the, was he'll our subject, that, bro. But, uh, <laughs> screwed up German families is the subject for us. Okay, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so. uh, maybe I can mention something. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, John and his vulnerability. I'm thinking of Philip, uh, where we're all raised in messed up families. We're all raised in brokenness. But as I've been discovering, we're broken for good. And I'm I'm very excited uh, how the party that's going to come. I think John's new book will be part of the party. And that's what I sense. <laughs> and you can get your copy at the back table. So if there if there are any questions about this or just any other questions, let's just move this slide into that. If if you don't have questions related to, to the things that they've shared, but that you have other questions for the national leadership team, let's take a few minutes for that. It was very interesting listening to all of you share the Bible passages of verses, because it seems like those stories you guys shared really shape who you are. Like I know, for example, Peter sharing about John and love. I can see his life is shaped by love. Or, 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 or John sharing about the prodigal son. It seems like God uses you to proclaim healing, restoration in people's lives. Same thing with Ed about Titus and Timothy because you're passionate for raising leaders. Same for Bishop Silas in Psalm 23, but dwelling in the house of the Lord. And that's why he's so passionate for the daily devotional time. And I guess I just wanted to ask a question to elaborate on that because it seems like each of you, and even sharing those Bible passages, shared a little bit of your life calling with us. So I, I was wondering if... I don't know if maybe a few of you or all of you or, or some of you wanted to share. I'm just wondering a bit more of how do you feel like your, the way God has worked in your life uh, equips you and shapes you in your unique role in both the NLT team and to what you contribute to the mission. Because I'm sure each of you has a, has a unique calling, as Terry Walling always says. You have a unique role that God has used you. And, and I, I have a sense of it just from hearing you guys share, but I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about what you sense is your unique role and calling in the Anglican Mission Canada. I think that's a, a really good question and an easy answer. I think uh, life shapes us and God meets us. You know, the, the, what Philip was talking about is, is um, authenticity is about being who you are um, and becoming who God created you to be. And who we are is often not who God created us to be. And if anything that we can be encouraged by is actually we don't have to act, we don't have to pretend we're somebody else. We actually create environments where we validate you are who you are. Um, and, I, and I think the value of trying to, um, you know, Ed sort of embarrasses me with this thing about the book. And, and my book is embarrassing. Um, you know, I said to somebody, it's like 
working hard at something to tell a story and then you tell it and you put it out there and you say, what am I doing naked in front of everybody? And yet at the same time, it's about going, because the story is about a God who loves people who screw up. And the more we are willing, that's why we're all, I think, invited to share the good, the bad and the ugly of who we are with one another. Not putting up the brokenness as this, uh, it gets tiresome after a while, so you don't want to always be talking about that. But we give one another permission. And if I want you to be authentic with me, I've got to be authentic with you. And the only way I know how to help people be authentic is to be authentic first, if that's necessary. Because I want to, in a sense, Boast about my weakness so Jesus can be glorified, which is just really saying we're all a work in progress. And so God meets us where we are. And if we can walk alongside people who will help us find where we are in order to be where he wants us to be, that's a kind of evolution that we will spend the rest of our lives on. So I want to kind of say we can't actually engineer this thing. We can only be where we are and respond and work it out with him and together. And then maybe you look back and you say, well, this is how it was formed. But I think if you have a self-conscious forming, you'll be trying to create yourself in the image of somebody else or somebody you want to be, and you'll just end up being a hypocrite. So I would just encourage us to relax and be who you are and start from there. And that's God will honor that. Amen. Um, uh, one, one of my greatest weaknesses, even my sins, is impatience. I, uh, sometimes, uh, when I mess up, my impatience actually makes it worse. And that, that's when I need Silas and, and, and Peter sometimes to protect me from my impatience. Um, yeah, I believe in this amazing movement. This is a gift of grace. I I believe in the Timothys and the Tituses. Uh, I believe, uh, as, as Paul said to Titus, the reason I left you here is the job is unfinished. And I want you to raise up leaders in all the towns. Uh, I believe that that's going to happen. I'm impatient, uh, but I believe in her future. I believe, and when I try to do it in the flesh, in my impatience, I become the problem. Uh, Max told us that uh, he uh, just want to have an experiment, right? Yeah, I want to have an experiment. Okay. Well, first, I I grew up in a screw-up uh, Chinese family, <laughs> right? And I grew up in many screw-up Anglican families. You know, oh, that's terrible. You know, so 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 um, we have been praying and hoping and doing all our best so that this Anglican family will be a built-up Anglican family, right? Yeah. So the experiment is okay. Now, you need to be frank and true to yourself, okay? Don't lie to yourself, okay? Don't think that, oh, you will lose face, those kind of things, all right? So, true to yourself. Just raise up one time of your hands. 
You know, for the past five and a half years, I have been working hard each day to help people to have a true, daily, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And the, the most person benefit is myself. So I can get through quite a lot of tsunami, earthquake in my life, you know. You know, somebody want to assassinate me, assassinate, assassinate me several times, I'm still here, you know, you know, they use those, um, you know, long distance gun, you know, <laughs> yeah, sniper, yeah, I'm still here, and my wife got leukemia, and we got through, and yeah, so, my experiment is, those who really have a daily, intimate, personal with Jesus in terms of you open your Bible and have a real quiet time with Jesus every day for the past just three months. Three months, okay? The past three months, every day you open your Bible, you have a real daily devotion, not because of duty, not because of guilty, not because of you want to study the Bible, not because of knowledge, but being with Jesus. Raise up your hand now. 17. I think just one quarter of our people, 25%. Oh, we are well. Very good. Because my, 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 my research is less than 5%. So I hope next year when I ask this question is 100%. Because, um, Iggy, uh, what he said is really very true. Each one of the favorite passage is a tailor-made passage from the Lord. I think we all have so many golden verses, but we choose that one. I haven't thought of that. You know, my son is very inspiring. You know, he helped me in lots of ways, and um, so he inspired me today. That yeah, when I think God, wow, really, God used Psalm twenty-third since I was very young, and so that's that's how. I choose that passage. Today, I choose the last 10 words. But actually, the whole Psalm 23, uh, he used um, to uh, revive my soul several times. Sometimes it's the first verse, sometimes it's the second verse, the third word. So, I think my call, okay, responding to Eggies, my call is first to be willing to be a sweet and obedient sheep following the shepherd, the great shepherd, each day. And if I really am in the care of our good shepherd each day, he is a provider and all the thing will happen. All the thing in Psalm 23 will happen in my life and have been happening actually. And then my call is, I and you guys need to be a sh- good shepherd to shepherd those sheep that God calls you to shepherd. Um, so that my call is to be um, a good Barnaba, a good Barnaba to raise up Paul, a good Paul to raise up Silas and Timothy, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so to be a disciple is my... Um, it's my most important call. Because why there are less than 5% of people, including, including I think, clergy, uh, are having 
daily devotion. I, I, I don't have number for clergy having daily devotion, but, but for my research, yes, less than 10% or less than 5%. The question is not we do not know the importance of daily devotion. The question is we do not have disciples to help those new Christians for three months or following Jesus' pattern for three years to help those Christians to establish a lifestyle of Christ-likeness. The lifestyle of Christ-likeness is not our character. It's not only our character. It's the being with Jesus each day. And if without that being with Jesus each day, I don't think we can do anything. We'll be burned out. We'll be only in the doing mode. There are so many Christian leaders that are in the doing mode. And sooner or later, our life will be revealed. Because when storm comes, or when bad times come, and we will just crash. So, yeah, Psalm 23rd. Be a, be a good shepherd. Be a good Paul. Be a good Barnabas to raise up Paul, Timothy, Silas. Yeah, be a good disciple. We need to work hard. And it's, it's not difficult, you know. You know um, and now I'm still being a disciple helping um, um, a restaurant manager, Richmond Sushi Manager. He uh, came to our restaurant church just uh, uh, six months ago, and he received Jesus as his Savior and um, Lord of Life um, four months ago, and I baptized him in the restaurant three months ago. And now every Thursday, 3.30 to 5 p.m., I had a one-on-one personal time with him. Uh, last Thursday, is our 12 weeks. And just <clears throat> opening my laptop and having a daily devotion with him using my, my pod, podcast and then have a, have a very basic book to go over some very basic things as a Christian. But the most basic thing is daily devotion, being with Jesus each day. Yeah, that's, that's from my heart, yeah. That's my call. Thank you, Silas. So what I heard you ask, Iggy, was um, the sort of thing that shapes my life into ministry. And so um, I, when I got saved, I was working at the Royal Perth Hospital and I had a really great job. By the time I left the hospital, I was doing uh, research work for a doctor of microbiology, doing research microbiology on freeze-drying bacteria. It was a really good job. And that's often how God calls you when you've got a really good job and then calls you into ministry. People who really can't stand their job can't wait to get out and then they get called to ministry. You have to be careful of that. But, um, but I'll tell you what was a catalyst for me, shaped my life ever since. Uh, I heard a preacher say, somewhere along the line I heard this, there are only two things that last forever. The souls of people and the word of God. And I pondered that for weeks and I thought, that wouldn't be bad investment to invest in those things, the souls of people and the word of God. And, of course, a hospital job's good and people got to work in a hospital, but I couldn't see that. Uh, that was too temporal for me. I wanted to invest in eternal things. And it wasn't long after that I went into uh, youth ministry, uh, working with homeless and destitute young people and 
Um, and in that organisation, one of the staff working there was Jenny, and that's where I met Jenny. But I, what that means for me is, I can still remember this to the day, that what's shaped my ministry, where my priorities have laid, when I've been given invitations to get involved in this or that, or this or that, and of course, you know, in leadership we get lots of invitations, um, the two things that have shaped me is the word of God and the souls of people. So very soon after I went into full-time work, I thought I'm going to go to Bible college and do just uh, you know, one course a semester. Um, and there's lots of courses, but I just want to learn the Bible. So start with the Gospels and then start study Romans and, X, and then Ephesians. So I'm always learning the word of God. Even today, I do a lot of work on just studying the word of God and you know, when I was at Regent, I did a lot of those courses as well. Um, and the other, th- that's so that's the Word of God. And you'll know that when I preach, and those of you who 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 are at All Saints, you know that every time we get together, I'll always open the Word of God. When we have a sermon, it'll be from the Bible. When we go and do a, a yard clean up, we'll have a scripture before we start in a prayer. And always the Word of God in everything that I do. And the second thing is the souls of people, which for me means relationship. So. I'm a highly relational person, which is quite ironic because I don't count, that's not my natural personality. I'm a type A personality, you know, get the job done, tick, tick. Um, uh, and, and in my German upbringing, uh, you know, Germans aren't famous for intimate relationship <laughs> skills. But when I, when, I, when I became a Christian and God was moulding me and these things became important, I remember early on in my Christian life learning how to do relationship um, and I remember even two or three people in my early life, always all my life, but in my early life, who shaped me, Gene Howell and Phil Howell, Robin Taylor, right? those guys, they shaped me and they taught me how to do relationship. So all my life I've been relationship and the word of God and that's what's, that's what shaped me. So everything that I, it's no coincidence that the title of this summit is The Word. I'd just like to say something to the four of you that is relevant, I think, to all the rest of us. Is I've been in the church since I was a little girl, and I've known a lot of leaders, pastors. One of the things that I may be wrong about, but it has been my impression that one of the most difficult things that a leader or a pastor can do is to be vulnerable. But I have to say that for me, I appreciate so much your openness, your willingness to be vulnerable, because in your willingness to be vulnerable, which I haven't experienced in leadership, generally, it enables us who follow you to be vulnerable. And believe me, from all four of you, I personally have all learned things about myself, and I've learned to be some of the things I am. It is because of a a, a course or one of the um, talks that I went to with you a long time ago that my husband and I have started getting in the word 
on a daily basis. Not maybe exactly as you would have us do, but it's something that we now do. I just think that what you do is so important, and frankly, this is probably, this is why I'm part of the Anglican Mission. I really appreciate you. Any others that would like to share or ask some questions? We've got about uh, 10 minutes left, so we don't have to do it, fill it right up, but there is 10 minutes left. So, I was wondering if each of you <clears throat> would be willing to uh, speak a little bit to how your marriages and your wives have uh, contributed to your call and where you are right now. So, <laughs> talk about passing the buck to the worst one. Uh, well, um, I'm on my second marriage. My first one, uh, you know, I, read my book. I'm not going to tell you all about it now. But um, 50, 12 years ago, my marriage collapsed. I had an affair and I basically lost everything. I'm not going to go into it, but I'm just declaring it. Um, I, I think... It's really easy in ministry to avoid intimacy and avoid relationship. My wife was a doctor. Um, We were pastors of this church in its original form. Um, And a lot of the things that weren't resolved in our personal lives didn't get dealt with and didn't get ministered to and in the end caused um, separation. So it didn't go well and it nearly ended in suicide on my part. So... Um, One of the things that's most encouraged me with the mission and with where we're going now is this willingness to be more. I was in the Anglican Church for 17 years and nobody ever said, how are you? Uh, Or who are you? If you were clergy, you just played games of getting together. You had silent retreats and all that stuff so you didn't have to actually be known. So it's really easy to get screwed up and stay screwed up. so my first marriage left. I was single for the n- another 10 years. And again, I'm not going into all of that. But I mar- married Cheryl six, six years ago. And, you know, um, we've learned some things. She's also out of a, a, a broken, abusive marriage, actually. And so, you know, we're testimonies to the world of, again, d- you know, David committed adultery. Moses killed people. Just God is really gracious. And he's really, you know, I've counseled a lot of people in Port Alberni. There are people in our church, you know, there are affairs in their marriages, but they've survived. So they look like they're sweet, but they've actually got histories. And one of the important things of our sharing with discretion is encouraging one another because people get really lonely in their brokenness or in in their whatever. Um, God's never finished with us. So. With Cheryl and I, we do one of the things we do now is every Friday we have a date night. Every Friday, it's inviolable. We go out for dinner and we go out to a movie or something. Um, often, a lot of the Saturday is actually spent at home. Um, she works as well, but you know, it's a different relation. She's much more tolerant of me, and, and I'm learning. Uh, but it's a work in progress. You probably could ask everybody else here; they could probably tell you more about it than me. Yeah, my my wife is an evening person. I'm a morning person. She didn't tell me that till years later. Yeah, on our on our honeymoon, 
Um, she was so kind, she didn't tell me how irritating it was that I'm a morning person. And so I remember the first year of marriage is wonderful. I said, how do you remember that first year? It wasn't that good. And she was so kind, she didn't tell me. She's raised from a United Church background, and they, when they're unhappy, they smile. And so, so she's an amazing forgiver because I've given her lots of practice. And during my doctorate of marriage, it was all in people in their second marriages. So Janice and I got to share all the ways that we've messed up. And they were laughing the whole way through it. Um, and uh, Janice, she's an amazing person. I, I love her. She's, she's a Proverbs 31 woman. Oh, Proverbs 31, she's just, um, yeah, no, she's, she's just, she's hardworking and dedicated. I think she has some German heritage, so she's sort of messed up, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but she's, Janice is an amazing person. I, uh, yeah, I praise her at the gates. It's the ideal woman. Janice is. Uh, I mean, there's ways that she irritates me, but she's incredible. <laughs> oh, uh, it's a whole chapter about the idea, the ideal woman. Janice is the ideal woman to me. She's also the most beautiful woman in Canada. We'll make sure we get that on the website, Ed, and then you can just ask her to yeah, listen to that. <laughs> if you men- if you mention German, then you need to know how to say "ich liebe dich" to her every day. Yeah, "ich liebe dich," "ich liebe dich." Yeah, okay. I love you. Yeah, "ich liebe dich." Yeah, "ich liebe dich," Michelle. <laughs> yes. Um, I think that this this may be very useful to um to to our son and our new daughter in law okay uh don't um don't make the the same mistake of your father you know yeah um, what i said is um i grew up in a screw up um i grew up in screw no many screw up Anglican family is because uh, you know I I was ordained as a deacon in eight, 1987 and then I uh, was ordained as a priest in 1988 I was called uh, to come here in 1994 but I think around the time um, three years I, I, I was ordained as priest uh, I was so busy I was so successful um, um, getting praise from all area of my, I think, good uh, youth ministry. Uh, I was taking care of uh, youth ministry of the whole diocese of Hong Kong, thinking new things. And one day, Michelle looked at me. I think she stood in front of me. Uh, we were still trying to remember whether she got my diary or not. That's not the important thing. The important thing is, you know what she said to me? She said, 
Can I make an appointment with you? Wow. That was my turning point. How come I, as a priest, telling people to love their wives, and my wife has to come to me to ask for an appointment? What have I done wrong? You know, so deep down in my life, the Lord has put the being, being into my life. You know, there are so many problems in marriage. Is when the being is taken out, then broken relationships. So dating is the key, actually. So. I always make example of daily devotion as dating with Jesus. You know, you know, it's the being with Jesus actually is dating because, you know, lovers when they date, you know, they they look at Jesus and oh wow, just the two of us. You know, you know, that's that kind of intimacy. So, so uh, Michelle helped me um, to have a kind of um, totally renewal of true relationship of being. But I think I didn't do well, you know. I, 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 I got that, but I still was screwing up lots of things, lots of relationship. Um, and, um, oh, and uh, she's so important to me, you know. You know, um, um, my boss is Jesus, and she's my second boss, you know. And, um, yeah, I, I listen to her because whenever I don't listen to her, I will be in big trouble. No, not because of she, she does something to me. I will be in big trouble because she, she is a prophet. Uh, she has more prophetic gift than me, you know. And, and, <laughs> so, so, so God really, uh, give us, um, if we are in His care, give us good, good wife and good husband. Yeah, so, um, so, um, maybe one or two years ago when someone asked Michelle to share, uh, um, what is the most precious moment that she thinks that, uh, her husband, me, loves her, I was very shocked when she shared that the most, uh, important Things for she uh, to to really being very certain that I love her is that two weeks that when she had leukemia that I was with her for two weeks, twenty four hours a day, and I stepped in a very small, uh, very small sofa on VGH the leukemia ward, fifteenth uh, floor, fifteenth floor, yeah. And um, for two weeks. And that is the time that she thinks that her husband, me, loved her the most. What did I do? Being with her. So it's similar situation with Jesus. You know, we talk about loving Jesus and so and so. Oh no. If you don't even... Use 10 minutes, 15 minutes to be with Jesus. How can we say we love Jesus? If we don't treasure our time with our wife, we don't have that dating, going to a movie, 
you know, I when I when I came back uh, uh, from the um, the uh, the airport, um, the taking uh, Philip Jones, and I saw you know Philip and Gladys, you know, holding hands, taking a walk outside, so sweet, you know. And I stopped my car and rolled down the window, hey, hey. <laughs> you know. That's the sweetness that we need to um, to have because Satan's most severe attack is on husband and wife. If we can not only protect our hus- the relationship of our husband and wife, protect our family, we have a better chance to um, to kingdom ministry. If not, everything collapsed. Right? It's a big thing for Chinese to talk about intimacy. Cool. Thank you, Silas. Um, uh, if I were to say to you, who do you think my best friend is, who would you say? And if I were to say, Jenny, who's my best friend? <laughs> we always do that, right? You're my second best friend. Um, Jesus is my best friend, but Jenny is my second best friend. And... Uh, when I got saved, joined the Christian Youth Organisation, met Jenny. Two weeks after I met Jenny, I proposed to her. She was 18. And honestly, if I'd known marriage was that good, I would have got married her when she was 14. <laughs> I'd go to jail, but it'd be worth it. And um, so uh, I would say that my relationship with Jenny, what you see is what you get obviously, because those of you who know us. Um, And my goal in life for the first few years of marriage was to help Jenny uh, in her screwed upness because she was so messed up (laughs) and I was so perfect that my goal in life for the first few years was to help Jenny because she was pretty messed up. And as I grew as a Christian, (laughs) guess what? I found out she wasn't that messed up. <laughs> I found out I was actually the screwed up one. It's taken me 37 years of Christian life to come to the realisation and I'm totally, you know. So over the time in life, uh, from going from the provider protector like help Jenny just survive life, um, now I realise that actually my role is different with Jenny. And uh, we, we've had some really difficult journeys, like one of the things that some of you already know about, but um, because of my previous Christian life, pre-Christian life with the drugs and the sex and rock and roll, it, it, when I first became a Christian, I didn't realise, but I had to deal with what we call today sexual addiction. And it wasn't pornography on the internet and stuff like that, or, but just bus stops were bad enough for me. You get that idea. But anyway, so that was a big thing that we had to work through together. And it was just the grace of God that did that to help us with that stuff. We're sort of dependence on, on Jesus. But where it's come to, I would say now, for my, my relationship with Jenny, yeah, I have an upfront role. Jenny has more of a behind the scenes role. To most of you, it looks like I'm the dominant one and Jenny's it. But honestly, in our private life, it's, it's a little different. And um, <laughs> it's a partnership. We have public roles, but we have private roles as well. And let me tell you, with all the stuff we've been through and all me helping Jenny out in the first few years, how did that go for you, Pete? Not very good. 
And um, it's culmin- I, I'd, I'd say, uh, Wendy, I describe it, I, I, it would culminate in this experience I had a few years ago. I was sitting with a bunch of leading pastors, pastor leader guys, and, uh, and I was part of the group, and there was this big thing. Uh, the question was, what are your goals for the next five, ten years? And it's this usual thing that I see. I get so tired of this. And so this pastor said, well, we're going to grow our church by 50%. And this guy's going to say, well, we, we want to get you know, our church to grow to 2,000 people. And this guy says, what's your five years? Oh, well, we're going to implement five new church plants in the next five years. And it's sort of like, and if any of you know the, the skit by Monty Python, the four Yorkshiremen, the worse it gets around circle, circle, it gets worse and worse, and these guys becomes bigger, bigger competition. I'm the last guy in the circle. You know, they're, so now I, they're expecting from me, you know, what are your goals in the next five years? And I said, on purpose, I said, my goal in the next five years is to learn how to serve my wife better. That threw a huge spanner in the works, and I meant to do that. One, I, I'm not going to play the game of numerics and comparisons. Number two, I want to remind us big shop pastors that if you can't serve your wife, you've got no credibility in your ministry, those of us who are married. And so I would say to you, I don't do it very well, but my goal in life as a husband is to serve my wife. It doesn't look like that in public because of strong leadership, all that stuff. But that's okay, you can work out what you think about that. But I can tell you that in our private life, we uh, spend nearly every Monday, sometimes it doesn't work, not just a day off, we have a Sabbath day. We practice Sabbath, learned that from Eugene Peterson. Turn the phone off. You, 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 you can get me on my home number, but if you try to get me on my cell phone, a church number, you won't get me. Turn the computer off, or at least don't do emails, watch YouTubes or whatever, and uh, go exploring. Like we went for a period once, we went to every airport in the lower mainland. Watch planes land and have a cup of tea. <laughs> Go explore with restaurants. We have a Sabbath day. And just quickly, definition of Sabbath, keeping a Sabbath day, pray and play. Pray and play. If it's play, then it's Sabbath. When I have to mow the lawn, that's work. But when I want to mow the lawn, it's Sabbath. <laughs> If I feel like tinkering with a lawnmower and we just play around and just it's fun, then it's Sabbath. If I have to fix a lawnmower because it is and fix a fridge, then it's work. So pray and play, and um, we would I would say that um, oh, I think we've got a really great marriage. I'm don't you think, honey? And um, <laughs> and I. And I you know, for those of like John who's gone through what he's gone through, to or, or the leukemia thing, I think about that all the time. It brings tears to my eyes, actually. But not now. And this idea that, you know, you could lose your wife or yeah. go through divorce or. Anyway. One echo. One echo is um, I. Well, my wife serves me with all she has, all she can, uh, in no comparison. But the way that I served my wife for the past, I, I think at least 10, 10 years, is almost every night I have a full body massage to her before she sleeps. You know, and, and this is one of my uh, way of loving her. You know, and for men, yeah, try that, you know. Yeah. 
That just raised the bar. Oh, like. let's just share a little more, shall we? Um. <laughs> I don't know. You've, you've all had experiments. So what about one? I don't think we can actually stop right now um, in the sense of, I don't know if I'd do this if Cheryl was here, but I, I, I just think it might be a courtesy to ask the wives who are present if you have something you could share with us as, as, as we wind this up, you know, uh, Michelle and Jenny. You know, just something that you might w- want to share. I'm not talking about a funny rebuke necessarily, although they're probably a lot, but just something about what has been helpful to make something work in this kind of stuff. Do you want to come up and... All right, Michelle's going to come, and then you are, Jenny. Michelle. Thank you. Um, I think God chose our husband as pastor, bishop, or whatever, and do God's kingdom's work, preach and do all the leaders' work. For wives, I think I'm just doing a job as behind him as a wife, as a mother, and taking care of the things he doesn't want to take care of. And then he will be in full force and doing God's work. That's what I've been doing for the past 30 years. Thank you. I wouldn't stand in your way. Come up here. Okay. um, And I want to say thank you for that reminder there because I was like, what am I going to say? Um, God has chosen us to be a great team and um, we have blessed each other, we've hurt each other, we've forgiven each other and um, and I actually get a lot of encouragement to step out and be the person I am uh, in the fellowship from Peter, which is really great. He's my number one fan supporter and he just releases me to do things that he probably wouldn't have expected me to do before. So I want to thank you for that. Um, And he does honour our relationship too. I also get cups of tea in bed. (laughs) Yes. You're having the night off, we're having a dating night? No, we're not allowed to do that. No, we're having soaking prayer, which is is actually being with Jesus. Um, why am I holding this microphone now? I mean, I'm the worst one on this platform for relationship. But I think, I think I'm going to say something just to, just to wind. In our marriages and in our relationships, um, our identity is not in being the husband of somebody or the wife of somebody. It's being a son and daughter of Jesus, and we are in relationship. In other words, there used to be the definition, I'm just the pastor's wife. When I was married to Cheryl, I mean, her big thing was, I'm just, I don't want to be your wife like that, where I've got to fulfill a role. And it was really important to say, you don't have to fulfill a role, just be who you are. And, and I think that's how we set one another free. You don't have to be a role, just be who you are. And in who you are, you're my wife or you're my husband. And the, the rest will be worked out. So I just think that's cool. Okay, well, let's just uh, thank our National Leadership Team for just sharing with us this afternoon. 
Um, so we do have a little bit of time for, for coffee and tea, and then if, uh, for, the, for those that are, are clergy or pastors serving in any pastoral role, we're going to gather in here in just under 30 minutes uh, to just uh, continue to work on some stuff regarding um, just abuse prevention. So it's just a really important part of, of what we do. Yeah, this doesn't have to do with the marriage relationships, but yeah, yeah, I know. I saw that, Evan, yeah. But in terms of just just our care of children, it's a it's we all uh, I know the national leadership team really esteems us. We have to be able to protect our children as we serve them and minister to them. And so so that's what we're going to do. So it's a free time until 5 p.m., which is our dinner hour here. Um, if you're looking for a place to just kind of get out to coffee and you don't really know the area, please just come and see me. I actually have a little map on my computer that I can just print for you if you want to go to a Starbucks or a Boston Pizza or Tim Hortons just to kind of get a different change of scenery. You're welcome. Otherwise, you're welcome just to hang out here at the church. Okay? Can I just do a, a plug for the soaking prayer? Because it's, it's, it's just a space to be with Jesus, to, bring, to, to, to just say to Jesus, out of all we've done this in these three days, here I am. And if you know me, as Philip said, more than I know myself, I just want to give you this time to say, here I am. And it might be that you come and you sit or you stand or you uh, say, I-, I want healing prayer. And there will be people to pray for healing. But it's very low key. It's very non-threatening. Um, but for, for so many of us that are always wanting to do things, it's a very good discipline to just be. We've been doing it as a church for six years. Four, year, four, four hours every week. Uh, Thursday for four hours for about three years. And then it's now two hours. And I just want to encourage you, because I know some people just automatically say, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, if you don't want to do that, just ask the person next to you whether they think you still need work. And then humble yourself and just say, Lord, I'm just going to be in your presence and give you the agenda. So I really encourage you to not slough off. Because I know some of you, and like me, we, we've still got work to do. But God wants it to be gentle. And so his spirit will do in us what we can't do ourselves. So there we go.